I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome everybody, welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks. I have a few links for you first, and then an interview, kind of an interview and a live demo with an old friend of mine and associate of mine, a collaborator of mine, John Davenport, talking about his new project that uh, is doing a, a bunch of text summarization and natural language processing to on um, on conversations. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the interview there, but um, let's, uh, let's begin with some links. Of course, it would not be, I think I've said this several times, a tech podcast of the hour without some AI news. I just have a little bit for you this time. First is from MIT Technology Review, written by Tate Ryan Mosley. Takeaways from the European Union's new, I think, proposed AI Act. And this is, of course, something that lots of people are rushing, or government bodies, regulatory bodies are rushing to do at the moment to get ahead of the ever rapidly changing industry around artificial intelligence and some interesting things here that showing maybe they're a little more clued on, wised up. I think I've just made up two phrases there. Uh, Are some elements like no emotion recognition. Uh, I feel like this is already being used in some tools, but there we go. Social scoring. Um, we don't really have that outside of certain countries in the world yet, I don't think. Um, but there we go. I guess a lot of this is about removing potential bias from some of these models. And then more specifically, restrictions on generative AI. Um, and this is mostly around copyrighted material. Um, some of these discussions initially led Sam Aitman, um, CEO, I think, of uh, OpenAI to... Um, well, to to threaten to withdraw from Europe and then change his mind. So <laughs> it, it becomes interesting. I wonder when, you know, the European Union is a large market, but it's an increasingly fussy, pedantic, regulated market. And a lot of American companies and from other places always threaten to pull out because of it. And I sometimes wonder when the effort of running business, the restrictions of running business, and I'm casting no judgment here on whether I agree with them or not, um, starts to outweigh the potential profits they can make. And I guess this is a decision that many of these companies make as they go through these processes. So that's some highlights from it. Go and have a read a little bit more detail of the document. It also has links to the actual uh, report. Next, some really good posts over actually on the Ableton, which is a music software made here in Berlin blog. Um, No author is credited. It's a two-parter, AI and music making. Part one is the state of play. Part two is tomorrow is the question. They're both really good in detail posts looking at, yes, the state of play and tomorrow, what tools have come before, what tools are currently being used, what people have done with them, the issues around them and what could happen next. Is it going to be music democratization? Is it going to be music... um, dilution, (laughs) however you want to put this. And 
Yeah, this is actually some things that uh, Killen and I touched upon on our Inbox We Trust show when we looked at music. And I've also looked at a few uh, applications myself on my YouTube channel, um, looking at some of these similar aspects. And a lot of people always thought music would be sacred because it's, it's very human. It's all about feeling. But I think the argument is that actually music is also quite mathematical and formulaic at heart. And actually, there's been a lot of almost procedurally generated music, if you kind of listen and look at it, for many years. And now, like many, many things, AI is just the scale. And as with many other creative pursuits, it's not that it wasn't possible before, but now the sheer scale is obliterating those who genuinely want to be seen. And are those artists... The the argument is that sort of threaded through both these posts is um, artists who put the effort, give something more unique, et cetera, et cetera, will sit above all of this. But if there's more noise to combat against an industry that was already very difficult to be heard in, uh, will it become even harder? And I think this is very similar across a lot of the other creative pursuits that AI is currently impacting. But really interesting two posts. There's a lot of links here of tools and things I would like to follow up in future videos too. So head on over to the Ableton blog and take a look. Next, um, this is, uh, we're, we're coming into more general tech here, more uh, tech that I was used to cover before the past few months. This is over on Nordic API's blog by Jay Simpson. Back to the monolith, why did Amazon dump microservices? And this is specifically Amazon Prime Video. Um, microservices has been this pattern that many of uh, many uh, people in the know have been telling everyone they need to move to. And, you know, we're almost at this point now where the, the slow movers are doing it uh, to the point now where companies that started are already saying, ah, oh, actually, it didn't really work where we're switching back. And Amazon Video in this particular case did it. It did it because actually, strangely, the microservice didn't scale very well and caused bottlenecks, which is precisely what microservices were supposed to prevent in the first place. And I think this is often some of the complexity with microservices over a monolith. You have lots of interweaving, interconnected parts and... Um, and implementing all of those, especially on something like video that needs to be very responsive, can be uh, difficult, a challenge, not impossible, but a challenge. And I think, uh, interestingly, one of their biggest competitors in this, who are uh, Netflix, uh, one of the biggest proponents, early proponents of microservices. So it's interesting to see that their rival is saying it doesn't work for video. <laughs> anyway, have a look at the post and see what you think. As always, you can head over to christianchiller.com and let me know through one of the various ways of contacting me um, what you think. Finally, in the kind of tech section, this is over on pdfa.org. It's been 30 years since PDF. PDF, the portable document format that remains still quite portable and still quite flexible and still very widely used is 30 years old. Head on over to this post to get some highlights of its history, what it did then, what it does now, and the kind of use cases in in both of these decades. Um, And yeah, fascinating recent changes in coming in uh, macOS and other operating systems showing that PDF is still very much alive and well and is still very portable. Uh, and I kind of love it, actually. <laughs> Next, two final posts in the and finally section. One is from Jamie over on Stonemire Games, who has an excellent board game production blog um, based around his experience with his excellent, equally excellent games. 
Um, talking about, let's talk about YouTube face and clickbait. This is something I have battled with myself, that you go to YouTube and it's full of these people pulling overly emotional and enthusiastic faces or whatever the emotion may be, faces um, trying to grab your attention. And I've kind of pulled away from it. A little bit of it has been because I um, <laughs> I lacked the time to, um, to go and... Um, uh, finish doing all the screenshots, but also all the thumbnails, but also because I didn't really like it. I wanted to find better ways. And I've been trying to think of a way to engage people with a YouTube thumbnail that isn't that horrible kind of YouTube face. And it's really interesting to see this post and equally the comments discussing that, yeah, a lot of people are sick of it. But it's like many of these things, it's like clickbait titles and listicle titles. Um, people complain about them, but people must still click them. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep doing them. Anyway, <laughs> interesting discussion. And finally, over on Vice, your favorite bands are reuniting, but not for the reasons you think. We were recently in Dublin and saw Pulp. Um, and Blur are playing and many other bands. And this article goes into a lot of interesting details as someone who uh, is a fan of some of these, but also played in the band oh, over 20 years ago now. Um, they actually never really split up, but anyway, um, about why some of the reasons might be. And it's not, it is a little bit about money, but it's also about how the industry has changed in those 30 years. 30 years ago, uh, I don't know where I got 30 years from, but it's actually about right. <laughs> and in the past 30 years, should we say it varies, that uh, the industry has changed so much that even bands who are big in those days, and they're also talking Oasis here, have kind of struggled to, to maintain uh, a life afterwards. Um, and actually their reunion shows are more popular than ever. Uh, in some cases, they're releasing new material, like Blur, for example, in this case. Some they're not. Um, some have had more success in these uh, reuni reunion times than they have in the first time. Uh, they're now playing to people my age, I suppose, who have money to actually uh, watch these shows. Um, and in some cases, the bands are going through a second lease of life. Uh, Pulp were very good. Uh, we saw Suede a few years ago when they reformed and they were still exceptional live. So I think that's kind of the key of the article is if you have something to to offer something to add to uh, what you did before, then it's worth reuniting. Um, but don't just do it to flog it at horse, as it were, <laughs> as I suppose is the statement. Anyway, head on over, take a look. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, if you follow my newsletter on Substack, you can do that in the comments there. Or yet again, head over to kristenchiller.com and you can find many ways to get in touch with me. Next is my interview with John Davenport. It was part of a live demo as well. I kind of kept it all in, but there may be areas where he's explaining something that isn't completely obvious on the podcast, and you will be able to find uh, maybe a day or so after the release of this podcast version, a version on my YouTube channel where you can see all of it. Um, yeah, and I hope you enjoy the conversation and us sort of nerding out. Today I'm joined by John Davenport. Uh, who we actually attempted to make a video recording a while back, but it kind of failed and I don't think it ever saw the light of day. So this is actually something completely different from that topic. John and I have known each other on and off for a while. Um, he made, uh, a made, still makes, I don't know, an awesome piece of software for automating screenshot generation that I am still desperately trying to open source for him and, and am doing it just in the grand spirit of all of these things slowly. But 
he messaged me the other day and said, um, I've, got, I've been hacking on this other really cool thing recently. Let me tell you about it. So it seemed like a fun setup. So, John, why don't you uh, jump into yourself and what you wanted to, to go through? Yeah, so I'm, I'm John Davenport. I'm an a aspiring software engineer. Uh, or I'm sorry, an aspiring software entrepreneur. I've been working on stuff for, uh, for about seven years. I started teaching myself Python about seven years ago. And yeah, uh, I met Chris in 2019 when I was working on user docs. Uh, he is actually the first user I have ever had for anything (laughs) that I developed ever. And I, I found him in Write the Docs, and him and another gentleman were talking about using Python to automate screenshot yeah. generation. So I was like, yes, these guys are my, they're my client base. <laughs> so I paid you nothing. Paid me nothing. <laughs> but, well, so I got, we, me and Chris started talking, and before user docs was the screenshot generation program, before it was ever a thing, we started talking about it and I, I, you know, shipped a first version for him and this other gentleman and it didn't work at all. And I went back, I made a second version that was a, a full desktop application and it actually, it actually worked. It got the job done. Chris is the only person to actually implement screenshot automation with my software. <laughs> Which was admittedly is actually very difficult, even with the software. And the where I was using it is sort of uh, I'm not there anymore, but I am trying to get it working for uh, a new um, a new client. But we actually want to open source it as well. That's been one of the main things. I've been very, very, very slowly unpicking John's brain. (laughs) That. That is the idea. And it, it's even like it's reasonably, I don't know, it's totally doable. And I still think even though it was a, a total commercial failure, I still really think that it was a, that it was and is a good idea. No, it was a great idea. And it does still work quite as well, quite well. In fact, just as well as um, some other commercial options out there, to be honest with you. Uh, and yeah, we will open source it. It's just quite complex. Um, slowly, 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 slowly. But John, what have you been? You you have something completely different you want to talk about, though, don't you? So I moved on after after <laughs> user docs, and just to be like as part of this, I'm super passionate about shipping products that help technical writers because mm-hmm. so much of my the success I have enjoyed in my career is either because I was doing some technical writing or because I just learned something from a document that taught me how to do something really important. Just like, like all the software engineering stuff. I learned all that from technical documentation. Mm. So I have massive respect for the profession and the people who, who work there. And so I, I user docs didn't go, was a commercial failure. I moved on to a second product called SME interviews. And mm. it was a little like, I don't know that you ever tried that one, but it was, it's just like a Q and a app for technical, like it's got questions, answers, a chat thread per question. So you can talk about, you can ask questions, answer questions, and and chat about it. And mm-hmm. it also, like, nobody cared. I didn't get traction. Uh, and I failed it off. And fast forward to about uh, February of this year when mm. 
uh, I had always had this vision for SME interviews that I could somehow take like a, a recording or a transcript of a conversation and mm-hmm. get from the content of that conversation to reasonable documentation, at least a first draft for a writer. Yeah. Okay. And I, I assume I'm making some very big assumptions on the tools that have recently emerged that are helping you do this. <laughs> yes. Because by use, by using like the, the large language model APIs and a little bit of NLP, that goes from like an insurmountable challenge yeah. to something that's actually doable. It's also interesting because there's a lot of these ideas that we discussed several years ago that just technically weren't were not really probable at the time. I think one of them was like a doc spot, which is now very possible and is being widely implemented. And the second one was, I remember uh, people endlessly saying, you know, you'd go in a Telegram chat or a Slack chat several hours later and there'd be this massive conversation and people would say, I wish something could have summarized this for me. <laughs> and now we kind of have it in some respects. We so, have it. Um, yeah. And, and uh, a lot of the... I'm, I'm going to just keep the names generic because it gets boring hearing the old uh, C CGP one a lot. We can go. We can um, go with Falcon or Llama if you want to be. If you want to be special, I don't know. But uh, you know this this aspect of like summarizes conversation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has become something that is relatively straightforward for them now. Uh, so I'd be interested to see what you've added on top of that that makes it more specific. But that NLP aspect as well, I think. There's an aspect for me of, you know, you can have a conversation with somebody to get their requirements, but then there's these aspects of what it is they say they want versus what it is they actually want, uh, expectations versus assumptions and all these sorts of things. So I don't know. Do you have something you want to – I, I can hear you frantically tapping away. I think you have something you want to show, don't you? I, I'm going to both talk about it and show it to you. So cool. the, the – um, so in – February, I, you know, I'm watching this like amazing media circus about (laughs) artificial intelligence. And like, it's something that I've been interested in since I was in college. And I was like, y'all, I know I'm late to the party, but I got to learn this. I got to learn it. Yeah. So even though I had like other irons in the fire, I was like, I'm going to build something with artificial intelligence and NLP. And I actually decided because one of the things I've done, I did in the meantime, after I sort of took a hiatus from trying to write software after SME interviews, I started a cleaning business and this cleaning business runs in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I I actually have a lady who runs the phones for me. I don't have to do the calls anymore. And we have a phone system called open phone. Mm hmm. And open phone records all my conversations and I have all my text messages in it. And I was like, here's what I want. I want to have a write up of a case study about a clean that I did for a customer so I can put it on my website for SEO purposes. Yep. So I took in Python transcripts of call recordings and text messages and started feeding it into the OpenAI APIs to yeah. generate case studies. And yeah. it worked pretty well. So what I did was I stood up a service that took 
all the data from my phone system and put it into like a reasonable model. And that and like that's the procedural part, right? That here's it's an interesting thing as a developer writing uh using the generative APIs from OpenAI and other people is a completely different topic from procedural programming. Because in procedural programming, if you have a consistent output and a consistent method for pro or a consistent input and a consistent method for processing that input, you will get a consistent output. But when you're working with generative API, you will have a consistent input and a consistent process for processing that input and an inconsistent output. So, so it makes it like a different world to work in. And so I was like, okay, I've done, like I've got the procedural part hammered out pretty well. Now I have to work with the actual language stuff and the AI. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to work up a, a, you know, a, a crappy script to teach myself this process. And so I was like, what better way to do it than to work on the SME interviews problem? Because I know it and I care about it and like I want to do something. So I took a transcript of a, a technical interview that I had at work and I started writing a script and basically what the script would do is it would take this conversation, it would analyze the content of the conversation and figure out what the topics were in that conversation and then write you summaries of those topics. And my intent was, what well, my first try was, I just sent that list of topics along with some context into OpenAI. And I was like, write me an outline. And it did a terrible job. <laughs> it was trash. And then I tried to feed that outline into another step that would then write the document. And reliably, the document was trash because the outline was trash. So my second cut there was to be like, take the conversation, slice it into topics, and then take this topic and slice it into topics so that you could take, take the transcript, do topic analysis, and then do subtopic analysis to develop an outline that was to the level of detail that you need in the document. So, uh, and that got me some, that got me some pretty good results and I was pretty happy with the output of it. And so a couple of, a couple, so, I'm, you know, I'm chucking along. I thought this other product was going to be a hit and I, you know, was working pretty furiously on it. And then I learned, and part of the reason why I'd done this mock-up is because I had an ISTC talk and I was going to go and like, I wanted to have something to show at the ISTC talk. And I was like, this jams right into my objectives. I'll have this cool SME interviews thing I'll show. And so, and I did it, had the talk, nobody cared, which is common for me. And then I made a post on LinkedIn and I was like, hey, I've got this script. This is what it does. If you want it, DM me. And so somebody did. And I was like, okay, if you want this, I will send you a $5 invoice on Stripe and you can pay it. So I sent him the invoice and he paid it. 
<laughs> and I was like, yes, I just got my first $5 as a software entrepreneur. This is huge. So then I went and I got on the call with him and I, uh, and the way I had, it was literally, literally Chris, it was like Python, Jupyter notebooks, Elixir has live book. This was like a crappy Elixir live book script where you would like hand write JSON in the outline to get a decent output out of it. And I and I was like, OK, like, let's go. So we got on an implementation call. I tried to get this script running on his computer and it was a total bust. Nothing worked. 30 minutes in, we just like gave up. And and I was like, oh, you know, I had to go back home with my tail between my legs. Did you have to give him a refund? Heck no, I got his money, buddy. I'm not giving him his money back. So I went and like I spent the entire weekend throwing the script behind an application. And then, uh, you know, I went and I went back at it uh, the next Tuesday and it was still broken and crashing. Mm. But the same day I got my second sale. (laughs) Somebody paid me $20 for indefinite access to the tool that didn't even work. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. <laughs> so I had oh yeah. you know I now I'm now I've figured it out right like why all the software sales guys sell shit that they don't have this is why yep yep so I I set my implementation with that guy for Thursday and I got in front yeah. of him and uh, by that time I had actually stabilized the product to you know I got it to a point and yeah. I showed it to him and and like. And he, he liked it a lot. And, you know, I, I have, so that demo call went well. I've now had one good implementation call. I made my third sale this week, which was, I unfortunately under, under asked and only got $5 again, but (laughs) you know, I'm okay with this. So like, I'm kind of, I'm, it's like a fortuitous moment to come on here and talk with you about this. Because Let's hope we can get you two more sales. That's right. I I only need I there's only I'm only going to let five licenses go at a flat rate, and then we're going to start charging <laughs> monthly. And but like the you know it's because like you were my first user uh, for all of the stuff that I have done. Like you were my first, uh, yeah. my first like I don't know fan as it were. And it's just it's just <laughs> cool to be back on here talking with you about this when I've finally gotten. Uh, when I've finally gotten somewhere. Okay. Well, can you, can you show me something or could you show us something then? Here is discuss it as we have named mm-hmm. it. And uh, what you're, what you're looking at is just like, this is just like the main, the main entry point. So yep. this is what, this is how we're styling an interview right now. And I'm going to give you the tour first, and then we're going to run it and talk about it because as with many generative AI things, it takes a long time. Like these APIs are not fast. Hmm. So, so what we have, my, uh, my second favorite podcast after yours is software (laughs) engineering daily. And it's because I'm nerdy in, in private as I am in, in public. And 
Uh, Do you know, uh, bizarrely, in a in a related, I don't think I ever mentioned this. There's a a, a company that produces uh, voice training data for AI systems, and it's been trained on my podcast. Has it really? All right. <laughs> I, I I actually meant if I had had a little bit more time, I'd have been like, Chris, give me a transcript from your pro- podcast, and we'll do it live. If you go, if you go and have a look on uh, on YouTube, um, I do have a. A recent video with Mac Whisper, and you can see me messing around with that on the last interview, actually. So, anyway, carry on, carry on. <laughs> All right, but we'll we'll do that sometime. It'll be fun. So yeah. they they uh, you know for my uh, uh, to my great benefit, they have podcasts of many of their episodes. So I've been this is like my test data set. It's a and it's a pretty good de- test data set. So yeah. what what you can do, and I can go into details on this if you want, I can hit this extract bu- topics button and it will do it'll perform a topic analysis on the content of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it it will it will find all of the most related text, group it all together, and then write a summary of it. So like we're gonna let's look at data science and machine learning at DoorDash. Mm-hmm. Ragnev Ramesh, a data science and software engineer at DoorDash, explains the process of rolling out a new version of machine learning model, which includes backtesting, da 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 Do you know what? Actually, I put on my to-do list after playing around with Mac Whisper, um, investigate AI for show notes. <laughs> well... I think you I think you have a customer already, so there we go. <laughs> I kind of... I was hoping, actually, that I was going to get some podcast... Uh, some podcasters at customers because like this does a pretty nice job and like, yeah, yeah. It's like 80 to 90% accurate. You'll have to take a pass on it after it gets done. And then I'll, I'll also have to give you some length controls, but this is like 90% of the job of show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's a, a few that sort of have it already, including what we're doing at the moment, which is uh Riverside. They have elements of it but they tend to be either like all or nothing, whereas this is somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. which is you don't want an entire transcript. That's boring to, mm-hmm. well, you do, but not for the same purposes as show notes. Show notes is not the same as a transcript. Um, yes. And then just um, bullet points is also not always quite enough to warrant, uh, whereas this is kind of like a nice, uh, and if you could somehow, this is going into a very specific use case, but if you could somehow tie it to like chapters or position markers in the audio or something, that would be really cool. But that's a whole other level, I think. Well, we can talk, I'll talk, we'll talk about that in a minute. So like uh, this, um, so yeah. And then here's the deal, like this little magnifying glass will then take that topic and split it into subtopics. And like Uh, my intent here is, you know, I think with a lot of these generative AI AI tools, it's like you said, it's like all or nothing. You're going to go in here and you're going to feed it a paragraph, a prompt, and then it's going to whack you out, you know, whatever, 2,000 words of, of average schlock in most cases, not to be mean about yeah. generative AI tools. But that's what you're getting a lot because it's it's trained on the mean. So what you get is the mean. You get average yeah. shit. And, and you've used a software one here. So how, how did you go with, I mean, I don't see enough text here, but what I do see seems accurate relating to probably the topic that's being discussed. Um, but all of them I've tried 
We talk about Kubernetes. Even my nickname, Chris Chinchilla, it usually gets wrong, and they all get wrong in slightly different ways. But um, yeah. So this thing, the the what I would like. So for the actual topic analysis part, I am not using generative AI. I am using mm. uh, I am using a combination of vector embeddings, and it's called the Louvain Community Detection Algorithm, which detects. Mm-hmm similarities in large networks of data. So Mm -hmm. to actually, I'm not using AI to identify the topics, but what I do is I then group all of the text content together according to the topics that it's discovered and then provide you with a summary of all that text content. Huh. Interesting. You could also maybe start creating, um, I don't know if you're familiar with tools like Obsidian and LogSec and Roam that let you do these kind of mind maps of your content. You could start to auto-generate some of those that would be cool as well because obviously it only works on things that you um, that you define yourself. But of course, mm-hmm. if it can auto-create some of them as well, that could also be interesting. There's a, there's a lot that... Uh, there's a lot you could try here, actually. I think that's half the problem sometimes, isn't it? Anyway. There's a lot to unpack, right? There's a lot to unpack. Carry on. So, so we, take, we then take this, and uh, you can slice into it to whatever level of detail you want. I've left the, this number here is the token count of the text, which... Ah, okay. It really, it's sort, of, it's sort of abstract, but it's intended to give you some idea of like, what did we talk about a lot? And what did yeah. we, t- like, how much did we talk about yeah. this in this conversation? So architecture components and machine learning infrastructure was bizarrely not much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Right? And, yeah. Actually, it's also interesting to see, you can actually see that as it gets through, they get shorter. They're running out of time. <laughs> well, this is not temporal. Like this is not necessary. That's part of the part of this thing is it's not uh, yeah, temporal. Okay, it's like if I find you talking about the delivery process and machine learning at the beginning and the end of the conversation, those get grouped together. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. So and, anyway, uh, the edit and the wastebasket—that's for editing or deleting sections, I guess. It, it just deletes it. So like that'll yeah. just get that'll just get yeah. rid of a topic from the outline. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So then if you mash this, oh, and by the way, for y'all technical writers, I did give you a markdown export here. Actually, I haven't met any of them that do that. Often the (laughs) output of a lot of these transcript tools is the worst part. (laughs) It's just like wall of text, you know. Yeah, Yeah, I know. This is a little at the moment. It's a little wall of texty, but we'll we'll talk about, this is one of my features, which we'll talk about in a minute. So if you mash write document, it will iterate through all of these topics and yeah. it will it will uh, it will self research the conversation to find the most relevant content to the topic. It will pass that in as context, and it will prompt GPT to write a section of text about that topic. Yeah, yeah. And it is still kind of a wall of average schlock, which I I have a I'll talk about this. Like one of my major features that I want to add is length controls. Yeah. So. Like what I want you to be able to say is, okay, I want a thousand words and I want this much of it to be in each of these topics, hit write document, and I want it to show you a planner. So I want to do like lorem ipsum with the lengths that you have defined so you can slide things around and look at it and be like, okay, this looks 
this looks like the way I want it to come out. Yeah. And then you hit write document and then it goes through each heading, researches the heading, uh, which sends the prompt off to GPT and writes the content. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's the idea. Okay. So any any questions before we well actually I'm gonna start running it and then we can like talk about stuff. All so right. I'm just just gonna delete everything. And you know, the like I it's a fairly young application, but I've got like I've got some nice, like it's fairly observable and usable here. Like it'll It'll yep. sort of tell you what's going on as we go through. Everything does take a long time. Um, yep, they do at the moment, yeah. Are you running this locally or remotely as well? This is my staging host. So I, I have okay. this deployed into staging. Uh, I got, you know, a couple of users on it that are that are kicking it around. It's been going, it's been going fairly well. I don't have, a, like, I don't know. I don't have bugs back yet, so I know people aren't in there heavily. <laughs> How's that? Okay. So th that's what it like it now it's done with the with the community detection and it's created. Just so this is doing it from the transcript though, not the actual audio. Correct. Okay. Although in my so in my V1 product, what I'll wind up doing is uh we're gonna ingest all this stuff from your um from open phone. And the thing about open phone is that it like they don't have call uh, call transcription built in. So when I ingest the call recordings, I'm running those through the Whisper API and yep. transcribing yep. them into, into uh, yep. like I have this general purpose conversations model that I'm yep. using to represent all of, you know, the text messages and the phone calls. And that that get brings you back all of this stuff with okay yeah and so we're done here we've got now these five topics so I'm gonna just I'm gonna slice down mm -hmm. the the top one so when we bring all that stuff back over I'm I'm gonna do similar stuff in the main product that I'm doing over here like the the first feature I want to ship over there is is uh, temporal summaries so mm -hmm. what I figure people will be interested in seeing is like, okay, I'm running this business. I want to know what we said to our customers uh, every day and every week and every month and every quarter. And I want to be able to go in and look at this corpus, this text corpus of this conversation and be able to zoom in and out to the level of detail that I want. And for example, I want to be able to like, click on, you know, this daily summary and for it to zoom me to that part of the conversation. And it is not, it's not only like reasonable and feasible, but I think it's useful to do the same thing with topic analysis. So like mm -hmm. you have this conversation and you want to split it down into 10 topics or whatever. And then you want to be able to like click on that topic and have it explain to you the references like where did you find people talking about this topic in this text corpus yeah. <clears throat> and then also to your point like think about okay i'm going to take this conversation and i'm going to do topic analysis on it and then i'm going to take this conversation and do topic analysis on it and then i'm going to feed that list of topics over to uh, a generate, you know, like a, an AI solution. And it's going to be like, 
oh, I think these topics are related. Do yep. you want to merge them together? And yep. then and then you can take like whatever, you know, your five or 10 Zoom call, calls about like, let's say, for example, you're doing interviews with users about product requirements and then you're going to run topic analysis on those. And then you're going to run those topics through an AI tool and it's going to be like, these are the ones you should merge together. And then you can use this magic to start developing correlations between different conversations with different customers or even different product managers. And like we're getting into really powerful stuff, man. If I wanted to continue going from here, say that exploring machine learning tooling, if you click the magnifying glass it'll break that down even further yeah and i, I i'm sort of fascinated to know how far you could go before it just <laughs> runs out like of breaks so. completely you have not to breaks, be a- i guess it's just it would just start like analyzing the and a or something maybe i'm not sure but it, it does actually it's a funny thing with this uh network detection algorithm if you feed it mm. i have found this running it on my local if you feed it too short of a yeah. and like let's do it let's where you you're you're gonna make okay. me break Support my product on live David. TV there we go yeah <laughs> that, that's the worst one to break down um, but uh but yeah eventually it will actually break so if you feed this network detection algorithm too short of an input and too many topics yeah. it'll just sit there forever. And it'll that never come back. Reasonable, yeah. That seems reasonable, yeah. Also, it doesn't just keep getting smaller and smaller. It just breaks. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eventually. Interesting. So you have to, like, put in some controls to keep that from, you know, to keep yeah. that from breaking down. And and this new topic button, is that to make it, like, manually or? So is that- it is. I had, when I originally added this, I when I originally created this, I was still in the mode that, like, you're going to have to automatically create your uh, or you're going to have to manually create your outline to get a good output Ah, from the tool Uh, that was before i had figured out that i could just do this like subtopic analysis to get better to get better outlines than you can get from generative api interestingly enough and what's the longest you've tried here uh so my business partner who's helping me with the uh, marketing side of things took like a two hour and 45 minute podcast and pumped it in mm-hmm. here with a low number of topics. And, uh, you know, because I'm early here and because I am in this like product that I accidentally sold, I haven't implemented the token chunking algorithm yet. So like in my, in my main line, in my V1 product, I have, and this is an, it's an interesting problem when you're setting up natural language pipelines is chunking. You would not think that like figuring out how you're going to split up this text would be complicated. Dude, it's super complicated. Like, do you split it up? Like the, the initial example I worked on, the guy was like, I'm going to split it into five sentence chunks with one sentence overlap because I'm thinking that one, you know, five sentences contain, and I'm like, that's uh, a that's a broad assumption, dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so like you have to kind of figure out how to chunk things out correctly to maintain the the most amount of context when you pass yeah. it into the. 
So all that's to say, if you feed too long of a transcript here with too low of a number of topics, it will exceed the context window and break. But yeah. I do have, like I have code written to handle the chunking. It's just that, and I'm. it depends on whether paying customers hit this bug, whether I fix it or not, or whether I just yeah. say, wait for V1 because it's yeah. in V1 already. And um, so this is a, a podcast which, you know, to be fair, is edited and semi-scripted, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with regards to the initial um, application here with phone calls where people will um and ah and mumble and speak in a very different sort of way, how's how's that ended up? working for the the phone calls so though i have i have not yet used a generative ai on a large data set of of conversations from the business but i i have used it on technical uh technical interviews for my current job and my and my perception so far is that it does a reasonably good job um in, in terms of NLP, what you're describing are called stop words. And st- stop words are basically things that have no meaning for the conversation. And you can actually potentially just remove all stop words mm-hmm. as part mm-hmm. of your natural language pipeline before you send it into your stuff. Uh, but I have sort of gone gone on the idea that like, okay, I'm not going to make assumption. I'm not going to make these assumptions yet that like we need to get rid of the stop words. I'm just going to let them in the context window and see what happens. Um, it is definitely more difficult. And I'll tell you where, where I think the difficulty of, of solving that part of the problem lies is in the transcript preparation. Because what I, what I found with my first pass is that if I just took the raw transcript and I fed it in, it was completely wrong. Yeah, I think that's something. And also, I can see you've got in the transcript, and you must be extracting it lots of like the the time stamps and and the names of people and things like that. I'm guessing you're extracting a lot of that, throwing it away for the time being. <laughs> so in yeah. in in my case, I had originally uh, because some of my original formats had the the timestamp and speaker information on on one line, so I would strip out the that information. But I decided to also stop doing that. And like the, what I'm doing in here is really basic. I'm looking for two hard returns in a row, and I and I split it on two hard returns in a row, and that's my chunk. Okay. Okay. It's really basic assumptions for this because, you know, once again, like this is a, I like literally tripped on the rug in the bathroom and sold this software. Like I did not mean this. The only reason this is a thing is because people bought it. <laughs> I don't, I hope you're okay to be admitting that in a public place, but yeah. I want you to put it in the podcast. It's funny. <laughs> So um, I think you've covered this a lot kind of in the conversation, but let's say it's just a question I always ask towards the end, so I don't really know what else else not to ask. Um, 
what you've got a lot of things you could do. What will you do next? What what do you think will be the most useful? And I guess there's a question for something like this that you just tripped on the the path mat. Um, <laughs> how how will you decide what you think is the most going to be the most useful next feature? So what I really hope the part of the reason why I have stopped developing on the V1 app and spent a lot of effort over here is because this is an actual avenue for me to get traction, users, and feedback. And so I have made an assumption on the V1 product of what will be useful. Here's what I, here's my hypothesis. That if I provide, if I, so here's the approach that I'm taking with the main line of the Discuss It app. I'm going to build a core model that represents conversations in multiple different channels, phone calls, text messages, chats, emails, whatever else you can come up with. And it, it represents that in a consistent model. I'm going to build adapters that ingest conversational data from multiple sources, Slack, Zoom, phone system, Gmail, etc. Then I'm gonna to build tools that allow you to analyze, summarize, make sense of, and write content about the conversational data that you have ingested into the system. The first tool that I had planned to release was the temporal summarizer, daily, weekly, monthly, et cetera, summaries of conversations with people. I think that's super useful and I think people will buy that. Um, this, isn't what you're looking at here, it's actually like two of the tools, right? It's the topic analyzer tool and it's a writing assistant tool. Mm -hmm. So what I will release in V1 is I will finish the temporal, well, actually I may not even finish the temporal summarizers. I may wind up just writing the thing that ingests everything from open phone and does call transcription because open phone, I can send that for open phone users and I can send it for free because I don't, as long as they bring their own open AI key, it doesn't cost me anything for them to get yeah. in there and get these. Yeah. The, actually you, you've hit upon a very interesting aspect for a lot of people thinking about running businesses on open AI tools is the cost is actually quite expensive. And where do you put it? Do you put it in the hands of the customer, which they might then really reevaluate whether it's worth it. Or if you put it in the hands of you, the provider, how do you maintain something that is financially viable for you? It's actually something that gets, gets forgotten about a lot. We're looking into this for the kind of docs search and things like that. And once you kind of start doing the back of the envelope maths, you realize actually it's quite expensive. It's quite and expensive. Is it worth it? <laughs> like all these cool features are very cool. But is it worth the cost? You, if you're looking at like thousands of usage per month, that could be a lot of money. It can be a lot of money. Of the, yeah. And even if you run it yourself, that's still, uh, you know, a company like OpenAI is probably already doing things on the cheap because of various reasons. Doing it yourself, you still need to, in theory, have the same levels of computing power and stuff like that. And that's an interesting thing. It comes back to that whole blockchain conversation ages ago again, where... I was like, great, but is it worth the effort? <laughs> is it worth the is it worth the effort and the because all of the like they all take 
a huge amount of compute power yeah. to operate. Like yeah. there's there's yeah. no way around it. And yeah. I will I'll tell you this, Chris. I have done everything and even my staging product is running on a free open AI key. And I am writing so for example with my uh uh with my like processing here, I'm writing it in such a way that I will be able to either do sequential or concurrent uh processing because I I kind of understand that economically if I can get you this thing and you can stay on the free key and basically the way that you stay on the free key is by not sending concurrent requests. So if I get five users and they're all on their own free API key and they're all running uh, sequential requests instead of parallel ones, I can help you keep the cost under control. I can do all yeah. your call transcription for free and it doesn't make a difference to me because like the access to the generative tool is your problem, not mine. Yeah, And so that keeps things under control. I think we'll see, of course, in the future, if that kind of thing will continue to be allowed or we get a similar uh, outcome as we've seen with things like um, Twitter and Reddit, where they're like, oh, you no, got to pay. Yep. <laughs> free ride's over now. <laughs> well, Very I, clever, but the free ride's over. <laughs> it's, yes. Yeah. I have, I have two sort of, so here are my, and you're right, like either I can, I can carry this and charge for the privilege of managing your cost to this API and managing your security and privacy of data. Yeah. You can, you can pay me to do that. That's a, an yeah. option. The other option is that I allow it to be your problem. So you figure yeah. out your API costs. You figure out your security and data privacy. And all I'm yeah. going to do is call the API that you tell me to call. Yeah. So if it's as long as people come in, what I'm interested to see is if the competitors to OpenAI release compatible REST APIs, because if that's the case, then you can be like, I've stood up my own generative API mm. service on my infrastructure. Here's the endpoint to call. It's going to support these contracts and, and we're going to be the masters of our own destiny. My preference is that the world decides that we are all going to be the masters of our own destiny in terms of artificial intelligence. We're going to figure mm. out what models we use. We're going to front APIs in front of them. We're going to be in control of our own stuff. And we expect you as a vendor to conform to the way that we want to harness this power, not the way that you do. I think that's actually a better world, personally. Yeah. Um, we'll see, of course. Unfortunately, I have seen some discussions around this very topic and, and especially looking at it from a slightly different perspective when um, you see uh, statements like, oh, AI has taken 10,000 jobs or whatever. And it's like, no, actually the capitalist implementation of AI has taken away 10,000 jobs. The AI had nothing to do with it, really. Mm -mm. It's just that someone actually valued saving money over people's livelihood. Yes. <laughs> so we unfortunately know that companies like to have their own little silos and things. Um, but uh, I think something that is very different in this particular case, which was not the case, and I'm, I'm going to use the example of blockchain just because it was the last kind of big hype cycle, but it was a hype cycle that very few people really understood yeah. and understood how to use and understood the benefits. And 
that's a whole other conversation. But with this, it's been a hype cycle that the common person is using it, gets yes. it, understands it. And I think that may change the dynamic. We'll see. It for <laughs> sure does. But and I wanna I I also I have a I have a hot take and I'm gonna give it to you. All right, go for it. Okay. Or I don't know if you're aware of how they train large language models. Vaguely. It's a topic that I have looked into and actually fascinates me as well. So NLP is something that fascinates me. But go on, give us a give us a um a give us a uh, chat GPT, explain it like I'm five summary. <laughs> They take a corpus of text. They mask words in the text. Mm -hmm. They say, model, what word goes here? And then it tells the model whether it got the word right or not. That's the innovation. Yeah. So I want to be really clear here. We are talking about artificial intelligence models that are really good at playing Mad Libs. Mm. Yeah. I think and it's the rise of the machines around here, y'all. Come on, give me a break. I think this is something a lot of people have, have tried to point out. It's like it's not that clever. Uh, it just feels like it at the moment. And actually, I mean, and I, I don't know. I think I wrote this a little while ago that maybe we overestimate human intelligence sometimes. <laughs> I, I, but, was, um, I yeah. was reading this article today by this guy and he was like, here's how I use ChatGPT to teach myself how to play board games. And the quote that I zeroed in on was, and you can use the plugin to talk to your PDF. And I'm like, guy, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're completely yeah. uneducated. Like all the people who are talking the most about artificial intelligence don't know anything about it. Like it's amazing to me the level of uneducation on this topic. Yeah, and that can lead, of course, to the problems we just discussed of, oh, well, let's replace all these people and blah, 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 because yeah. it's something that's really not um, really not understood very well. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> It's not. We've replaced 10,000 jobs with a machine that plays Mad Libs. Guys, <laughs> what are you doing? There's the quote. <laughs> anyway, well, that's my hot I mean, take. Uh, we, we, we could argue that a lot of workers in the past were just playing Solitaire and Minesweeper, but anyway. <laughs> they were, but, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, John. If uh, you want to get uh, some some more customers on this, where can people find more about you or uh, discuss it? Discuss it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you can find where can me on. Find more. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is John Davenport. Mm -hmm. uh, my organization is on LinkedIn. It's called Discuss It. One word. Mm -hmm. The website address will be discussit.app. We are so yeah. early that we don't even have like we don't even have a postage stamp website. But, uh, you know, keep keep an eye here. We're going to be releasing some really interesting. Uh, we're going to be releasing some really interesting tools for uh, understanding conversational data. We want to be the de facto con conversation intelligence platform for uh, for business. So um, look forward if you're you know, 
I, I also find it interesting. I've been trying so hard to ship uh, products for technical writers for years. Mm. None of my first three customers are for technical writers, even though this <laughs> thing was explicitly created for technical writers. So come on down. I really, yeah. I really want to help this audience out. Um, I'm not sure that I will be successful, though. Yeah, I'd have to could give it a go. I think you definitely need to hook it to something like Zoom or et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, to get that. Uh, you know, whatever people are using for those interviews and things like that. But um, we could talk after after I've hit the stop recording button. <laughs> and uh, but it's good it's good to to have you on. All right, John. Uh, so John Davenport on LinkedIn to find discuss it. And uh, yeah, good to good to finally have a conversation that we managed to sort of unpack something functional. And uh, good to talk to you. So yeah, I think thanks last, very much for joining me. Last time we were fixing a fixing a Python yeah. on Macintosh, it was delightful. <laughs> yeah, we just got nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. And that was my conversation, my nerd out with John. Um, a few things from me. I did publish on Medium this uh, macOS native artificial intelligence applications. I have a video version of that in the editing bay right now. Uh, in the meantime, what did I? I've looked at uh, Starlight from Astro, their new docs um, focused sub-project of Astro for documentation sites. I looked at new features in macOS Sonoma and creating text adventures with Quest. Those are all over on YouTube. And that's pretty much it. I've been a little bit busy um, with uh, various other projects the past couple of weeks. Not too much more to add. My website continues to get some updates. You'll see some new sections there. All my books um, are mostly all there now overhauling the podcast page as we speak and um, yeah some new book releases coming soon I'm just having some artwork made uh, I think that's about it for now to be honest with you uh, also I can remember anyway so I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode and until then I have been Kristen Schiller and thank you very much for joining me take care everybody I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing, games, work and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind the scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.